Well, good morning. We're in the last day of our Global Church Focus Week, and uh, we've had many visitors here from different countries around the world for the last two weeks, and we've had a really, really great time together. Um, and this is the hard part, <laughs> uh, beginning to say goodbyes. Um, you know, this is one of the things that I think Annette and I enjoyed least about being missionaries was just, you're always saying goodbye to somebody. You know, either on this side or when we're over there and we're coming back, we're saying goodbye to, you know, people that we've grown to love and serve and minister to. And, and so we've got to begin saying goodbyes to some very special friends that um, we've also grown to love and care about deeply, as many of them we've been partnering with together for many, many years now. And, and I think it's also... Uh, something that I think we really need to be praying for the Beitzel family over the next two weeks, um, saying goodbye to Martha. On the one hand, they're super excited about God's working in her life and what God has for her and how God has led and directed, and clearly this is of God, and she's headed to where God wants her. But at the same time, obviously they're going to miss her deeply, and it's not like getting in the car and going to Missouri and visiting her in the training. Uh, she's going to be halfway around the world. And so let's be holding them up in prayer over the next couple of weeks as, as they prepare to say goodbye. As you all know, uh, the focus of our time through the book of Acts over the last year and a half or so has, has really been the faithfulness of God and, and just the way that it's been revealed through God establishing the church and divinely intervening uh, in many, many aspects. And, and as you read through the book of Acts, we see God carrying out faithful act after faithful act. And we've seen that highlighted through his interaction with the early church and establishing the church and growing the church and spreading the gospel. And we've also heard many testimonies about God doing that in our own lives. Um, over the last number of months, weeks, we've heard many individual testimonies from people here at FBC that have shared um, just testimonies of the faithfulness of God in their lives. And, and we too, when it comes to the relationships that we have, family, uh, children, friends, we too commit acts of faithfulness in one another's lives. Um, many acts of faithfulness when it comes to family and, and friends. And, and to me, one of the most interesting things about all these individual acts of faithfulness is, is that they don't just stand alone. They're a part of a greater context. Um, we're faithful in the lives of our, of our family, of our kids, of our spouses, because of the relationship, because of the love, because of who we are as parents to them, uh, because of who we are as children to our parents, because of who we are as friend to friend. And, and I think it's the exact same with God. God is, you know, like we've, like we've seen all through Acts and like many have shared, we could, I mean, we could go on service after service after service uh, just highlighting the faithfulness of God in our lives and the the abundance of faithful acts that God has carried out on our behalves. But 
But, along, but, but just like with us, there, there's a greater context, so there is with God. All these individual acts of God's faithfulness are, are a part of a bigger context of God's faithfulness. And, and I think we see that context um, uh, viewed in this, uh, in this visual. Uh, we call it the, the meta-narrative context. It's the big picture, the, the grand story uh, it's the, the big picture context of God planning, preparing for, and fulfilling the eternal plan of redemption. And the, the, the whole reason that God is faithful day in and day out and through history, I believe, is because of this context. And it's really important that we begin our view of this context in the right place. I think many begin their view of the context in Genesis 1. But as we're going to see in a minute, the context actually begins before the foundations of the earth in the heart of God from eternity past. And, and it's something that flows out of who God is. Um, be, we know that, that God is a, has, has been an, an eternal God from, from eternity past. Um, and but I don't know if, if you've ever given any thought to, like, like, we, like, we, like our, first, our first record of, of God revealing himself is usually Genesis 1, and that is as the almighty, sovereign creator of the universe. But what was he like, what was he like before that? Like, what was he like from eternity past? And I think in Jesus' prayer in John 17, he, Jesus gives us a, a bit of a glimpse of that. Um, I'm going to need to bring it up on my phone, sorry. Uh, in verses 1 to 5, and so this is Jesus' prayer. He says, Jesus spoke these words, lifted up his eyes to heaven, and said, Father, the hour has come. Glorify your Son, that your Son also may glorify you. As you have given him authority over all flesh, that he should give eternal life to as many as you have given him. And this is eternal life, that they may know you, the only true God, and Jesus Christ, whom you have sent. I have glorified you on the earth. I have finished the work which you have given me to do. And now, O Father, glorify me together with yourself, with the glory which I had with you before the world was. And so here Jesus is speaking of this glory that the Godhead resided in, existed in from eternity past. If we go on then to verses uh, 22 to 25, he gives us some more characteristics of, of what that relationship, what that existence was like. Verse 22, he says, And the glory which you gave me, I have given them, that they may be one just as we are one, I in them and you in me, that they may be made perfect in one, and that the world may know that you have sent me and have loved them as you have loved me. And so here now he's speaking of oneness and unity and this intimate communion that the Godhead was living in and existing in in their relationship with one another. Then in verse 24 he goes on and he says, Father, I desire that they, that they also, whom you, have, uh, whom you gave me, be with me where I am, that they may behold my glory which you have given me, for you loved me before the foundation of the world. You loved me before the foundation of the world. And so in this prayer, Jesus speaks of 
glory, oneness, unity, and love that characterizes the heart of the Trinity from before the foundations of the earth. And so before God became almighty, sovereign creator of the universe in Genesis 1, <laughs> he was loving Heavenly Father. And I believe that's because, and, and because of who he is. We also know Genesis, uh, 1 John 4 says that God is love, that it's the essence of who he is. And so it's, it's out of this, this heart of who God is and what the Godhead is like then before the foundations of the earth that he predetermines this eternal plan of redemption. If we go on and look at uh, 2 Timothy 1.9, um, who has saved us and called us with a holy calling, not according to our works, but according to his own purpose and grace, which was given to us in Christ before time began. And so it says, God's purpose and grace were bestowed upon us through Christ before time began. And so this means that the God had predetermined this eternal plan of redemption that would be on the basis of grace, on the basis of giving us what we don't deserve, and it would be carried out by Jesus before he even created a thing. Like before we existed, before there was a fall, before there was sin, before there was a need for salvation. <laughs> because God is love, he, and he's all-knowing, he knew full well all that the world was going to become. And so before he even creates this, this human race that he knows how sinful we're going to become, he predetermines an eternal plan of redemption. And it's that, to me, that's, that's the big picture context. That's the big picture context of, of all these individual acts of, of faithfulness that we see God doing. Because if you continue to look at the big picture context, that's just, that's just stage one. We've identified four stages of that context. Um, stage one we call the planning stage, and that took place before Genesis, before Genesis 1, uh, from before the foundations of the earth. That took place in the heart of God. And then you come to what we call stage two, the preparation stage. And that begins with Genesis 1. And, I, and, and then every, every event, every story, every account that we have all through the Old Testament, in some way, in some shape or form, God is setting the stage for Jesus to come and fulfill the plan. Because Jesus' fulfillment of the plan, according to 2 Timothy 1.9, and all those other verses that are listed below it, tell us that this, that, that this has been the center of God's plans and purposes from before the foundations of the earth. And Colossians 1.16 is a verse that I think really supports that, that fact. Um, For by him all things were created that are in heaven and that are on earth, visible and invisible, whether thrones or dominions or principalities or powers, all things were created through him and for him. For him. For Jesus. Why would everything, you know, visible, invisible, everything in heaven, everything on earth, thrones, dominions, powers, principalities, that's, that's a reference to the spirit world. Why would all this be created for him, for Jesus? Because before the foundations of the earth, the Godhead predetermined an eternal plan of redemption that Jesus was going to come and fulfill on the behalf of, of mankind. And so, God created this world and all that it contains as, as the backdrop, as the context, as the place 
where Jesus would come and fulfill that plan. And, and so then we come to stage three, which we call the fulfillment stage. And that's the time when Jesus actually went to the cross. And in a, past that I, a passage that I think is just really gripping is John chapter 12, um, verses 23 and 27. Uh, 23 says, But Jesus answered them, saying, The hour has come that the Son of Man should be glorified. Um, he doesn't say the hour has come that the Son of Man should be crucified. The hour has come that the Son of Man will be humiliated. <laughs> the hour has come that the Son of Man would be glorified. He refers to this hour, this hour of him going to the cross, as the hour in which he would be glorified. Because it's, it is the ultimate manifestation of the grace of God. Uh, there could be no greater manifestation, revelation of the grace of God than to have sinful, fallen, sinful enemies of God, uh, human beings standing at the cross, nailing the Holy Son of God to the cross, condemning Him to be more sinful than themselves, <laughs> and in that act, God actually paying for their sin. The wisdom of the cross is just beyond our comprehension. Jesus then goes on in verse 27, Now my soul is troubled, and what shall I say? Father, save me from this hour? But for this purpose, I came to this hour. For this purpose, I came to this hour. This purpose of shedding his blood and fulfilling the eternal plan of redemption. And then after Jesus fulfills the plan from Acts chapter 1 all the way into eternity future is all the results of Jesus fulfilling the plan. Every event, every doctrine, every promise, um, every bit of biblical instruction that we find from that point on is all, all finds its relevancy in the fact that Jesus fulfills the eternal plan. Had Jesus not fulfilled the eternal plan, there would be no promises. There would be no new heavens and new earth. There would be no existence of the church. There would be no rapture of the church um, without Jesus fulfilling that eternal plan. And so to me, that, that's the ultimate context of the faithfulness of God in which God is carrying out all these individual acts of faithfulness. He's carrying out all these individual acts of faithfulness because he's fulfilling this grand story, this, this eternal plan. <clears throat> and so we've gone through the book of Acts. We've seen the faithfulness of God in establishing the early church. If we were to continue to look at church history from the end of Acts up to 2023 and Look at the church's outreach and look at the spread of the church and look at the establishment of the church. I'd be, I believe we would see exactly the same things that, that we see all through the book of Acts. Um, the ineptitude of man <laughs> and the faithfulness of God. Like that's what you see. Uh, the, 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 the establishment of the early church was not about the greatness of the apostles. It wasn't about the, their faithfulness. It wasn't about their wisdom. It was about the faithfulness of God, because God is carrying out, He's fulfilling the eternal plan of redemption. And, and if we look all through history, 
the history of the church, we see the exact same thing. Man just, and the church, just blowing it over and over and over and over, but the faithfulness of God to divinely intervene. And if you disagree with that view, just, just look at the state of the universal church now. I mean, look how divided the church is. Look how confused the church is. Look at how the, the, all the false teaching and the heresy that exists in the church today. That's not a picture of the faithfulness of man and <laughs> the, the greatness of the church. But yet God continues to work through the church and continue to spread the gospel. And we have all these people here this last couple of weeks sharing all these testimonies because of the faithfulness of God. Because God is carrying out this eternal plan of redemption. And so here's the thing that I think, you know, is so important for us all to see in this. And that is when you take, when you take a step back and you look at that big picture context, you know, that began with the heart of God from before the foundations of the earth, and you see his faithfulness to put everything in place all through history that needs to be put in place for Jesus to come and fulfill the plan, and Jesus comes and faithfully fulfills the plan. And from that point on, we, we continue to see the faithfulness of God to establish the church and spread the church and grow the church. And here, testimony after testimony after testimony of the faithfulness of God. For me, it, it, it gives me a deepened appreciation for what the writer of Hebrews says in Hebrews chapter 12, verses 1 to 3. Uh, he says, therefore, we also, since we are surrounded by so great a cloud of witnesses, like we could all say that, you know, and, 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 and this is being said after chapter 11, right? After chapter 11 in Hebrews, where the writer goes through 39 verses of highlighting those who had faith without seeing the promise because of the faithfulness of God. What brought them to that place of faith was the faithfulness of God. The same thing that has brought us to the place of faith, the faithfulness of God. And, and, because, and since we're surrounded by such a great cloud of witnesses and witness of the faithfulness of God, let us lay aside every weight and the sin which so easily ensnares us, and let us run with endurance the race that is set before us, looking unto Jesus, the author and finisher of our faith, who for the joy that was set before him endured the cross, despising the shame, and has sat down at the right hand of the throne of God. And so to, to me, what he's saying is that there is such an overwhelming amount of witnesses and testimony of all that God has done and all that God has in store for us that it consumes us, that it, that it determines our perspective in life, it determines our decisions. You know, we're, like we've seen, we're a part of God's plan, like whether we know it or not. We're a part of God's plan. God is God's faithful in our lives whether, whether we know it or not, whether we ask him to be or not because of who he is. Well, we can either continue to be a part of God's plan in ignorance, not realizing it and not knowing it, or we can have our eyes open to the greatness of what God is doing and have more of a conscious uh, involvement in what God is doing. And, 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 and by seeing these testimonies and hearing these testimonies over and over and over of the faithfulness of God, desiring to set aside the things that hinder us from that conscious involvement in what God is doing. <clears throat> and, and one of the th reasons why 
you know, I think this is so important, um, like just the telling of these testimonies. Um, it's something that I, I think we don't do enough of. Um, I think we need to get better at it. Um, just telling these testimonies over and over and over. And the reason why I think it's so important is, is like, have you ever, have you ever seen something that, that like so impressed you that you couldn't stop talking about it? Um, over the last four or five years, uh, Annette and I, we've, we've had the joy of uh, taking grandkids to drag races. <laughs> I like motorsports. And uh, one of my favorite things to go to is drag races. And this year, the drag race that we were taking them to um, actually fell on the first weekend that uh, Joshua Yako, or Simon Yako and Joshua Yakubu were here. And so I invited Joe Strubinger, and, uh, and we took uh, his daughter and one of our grandsons and Simon and Joshua to the drag races for pure red-blooded American fun. And uh, I don't know if you've ever been to the drag races before, but they start out with the lower classes, and every class is loud. They're loud, and, uh, and they're fast, and they get faster, and they get faster, but eventually they get to the top fuel dragsters. And a top fuel dragster, dragster is fueled by nitromethane. They're um, calculated at 11,000 horsepower, they go from zero to 300 miles an hour in three seconds or less. And when they launch, I mean, it is just like, it's an explosion. And you're sitting there watching these races, and then one of them, the first one of that class runs, and we're just like looking at each other, our eyes as big as saucers. You feel the concussion, you know, from, the, from just the power, uh, the, the explosion of the motor taking off. It's just like, it consumes you. You can't, like, you just can't stop talking about it. It's just so impressive. And I, I think that's, 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 that's what the faithfulness of God through history, I think, will do to us. The more we tell these stories, the more we focus on God, the more we, we understand the, the grace that's been lavished upon us, the more it will consume us. Uh, the more we will not be, we, we, we won't be able to not be his witnesses. And so, I'd like to end, we're going to end with two, two more stories of, of God's faithfulness. Uh, one is regard to our global missions program and just how God has faithfully led and expanded and grown uh, just, you know, the involvement of one church, FBC, around the world. And then Mike Thomas is going to come up with uh, Juan uh, and Tirsa and uh, have another testimony for us. And so, the testimony of our global missions program, um, you know, it, originally it was a typical missions program where the church was supporting missionaries to do missions on the behalf of the church. And then in the mid-90s, uh, God led us to interaction or a connection with uh, three national pastors, one in Mexico, one in Kenya, and one in India. And and that began the process of trying to help those men uh, raise up leaders. And from the mid-90s until 2006, the focus of our global missions program was pretty much on individual pastors. But it had grown from those three countries um, to um, Mexi we have Mexico, India, Nepal, Kenya, Togo, South Africa, and South Texas.
And, and, and from the mid-90s to 2006, many trips were, were, were taken by the missions, uh, missions team uh, to continue to teach, establish, equip those pastors. And those pastors in those countries began to turn around and pass the teaching onto their churches and equip their, and equip their churches. Uh, we had one location at that time where we had a church that was planting other churches, and that was among the Pokhren in Thailand. Um, but then from 2000, in, in 2006 then, God led us to um, focus more on the church and less on the individuals. Uh, and partly of that, uh, the reason for that was because we, we now had a, a group of individual pastors in those countries that had become established in the faith, that had become equipped with the tools and the understanding of what it takes to establish a church in the faith, and they had begun to do so. And so then from 2006 to 2023 now, um, the focus has been on the church, and we've seen those pastors faithfully establish those churches, and now we're seeing churches establishing other churches. Uh, we're seeing pastors holding pa pastors' conferences uh, from pastors from many different denominations and passing on to them the teaching that we've passed on to them, and, and it's grown. This past April, Joshua invited us, Jim and I, to Nigeria to do a conference for a group of pastors and, and missionaries um, across Africa. And after almost every session, we had, we had missionaries coming up and asking us to bring the teaching to their country. Well, what it has led to is in 2024, uh, beginning in January, we're going to be taking our teaching to 15 new countries or new locations in Africa. Uh, Ten of those locations are countries that Jim and I have never been to. And, and it's just, to me, it's just such a testimony of the faithfulness of God. Uh, the faithfulness of God to use one church for such amazing, broad-spectrum impact in so many places. Churches now establishing churches. Um, and it's, and it's a continuation of what God began before the foundations of the earth, has carried out through history, has carried out through Acts, through the history of the church, and he's continuing to do the exact same thing. And, you know, some of the things that we read in Acts, you know, the, the Holy Spirit led the elders to set aside Paul and Barnabas and to send them out. Well, we just did that this morning. The elders just did that with Martha, the exact same thing. Um, Paul and Barnabas would make their missionary trips, and then they would come back to the church and, and, and share testimonies of all the things that they'd seen God do. We just did that this week. We just had all these guys from all these different countries come for that very purpose, to share with us the things, the great things that God is doing around the world. And, and so this morning, if you, if you get one thing from what, uh, what I've shared this morning, I pray that it's just a, a, a bigger view of the greatness of God, a bigger view of the heart of God, a bigger view of the faithfulness of God and, and what we, by His grace, are allowed to be a part of. And so I'm going to invite Mike and the Delgados up to continue on with these testimonies of faithfulness.
Well, good. Uh, good to have you with us. It's been great to be with you these past two weeks, and you're not leaving right away, are you? No. No. Good. Uh, my wife Donna and I had a, the privilege of going and spending, what was it, six months? No, two weeks, somewhere around two weeks back in 2007 to go and visit Juan and Tiersen in Cuenca, Ecuador. And we heard lots of stories of God's faithfulness in their lives even then. So since then, it's, it's been a while now, um, tell us some of the ways in which you've seen God has been faithful to you um, even uh, since then in recent years. Sometimes when uh, people ask uh, to give a testimony, we focus on ourselves and and see what we have done and how we have grown, but uh, the truth is that uh, we are not faithful, and uh, trying to remember the things that have happened, even when I became a Christian, it wasn't about me, I wasn't looking for, for God, but uh, he was faithful because of uh, what Second Timothy 1, 9 says, and um, and uh, I wasn't looking for God, but he saved me. <laughs> yeah. And uh, it been, it's been the same in our, in our marriage, too. He, he prepared us to be uh, one uh, as, a, as a couple and to serve him. And it's also his love, his faithfulness. And we've been able to see that as... Um, as we go as a couple, but also in the church. Um, sometimes it's, it's uh, easy to focus on ourselves and say, like, how much we have worked or think or, or, or have done, but uh, it's not. It's, it's, it's his work. It's his church. And we are just very thankful that we, were, we have been, been able to see that through, through our lives uh, because... Um, God has allowed us to um, see Him in the midst of difficulties in our in our lives, in with health, with um, death for uh, relatives, and and one one example of this that we can I can share with you about the, God's faithful faithfulness is that. Um, um, uh, the church really is our family. Hmm. Our, we have two daughters, that, um, Talula, that's, she's five, and Sadie, that uh, she's two and a half. And um, my mom passed away three months before the older one uh, was born. And um, our parents, uh, Tisha's parents, live in Texas, uh, my mom is not there. My dad is not very present in the, in the picture, but um, the family that we have is the church, and we can see how God takes care of, of us, no? And um, so it's, that's just one little example of God's faithfulness. You know, he had this prepared from the beginning of time for us to know him, and um, it's it's uh, really nice to see how he brings us up to a, a a better understanding of what he does, 
When I just became a Christian, um, I memorized Psalm 119, verse 9, and kind of like the focus is on us. I memorize uh, the word, and I'll be away from troubles. But it's not like that. And it's God's faithfulness, because we don't look for him. And um, no. I, I think... Uh, how, how long? How much time do we have? Like, <laughs> the clock's right up there. We got five oh, minutes yeah, and right. twenty-two okay. seconds. So <laughs> I'm done. <laughs> <laughs> well, you can say it too a little bit. I've got the I wanted to ask you, Tirsa, as as Juana said, the church really has been a family to you, uh, to you both. And I know when we were there, uh, you were meeting in one building, and the church was was this big. So your family, your church family, has really grown, and God's been faithful to his own purposes there in Cuenca to grow and establish the church. And how have you seen um, the, the faithfulness of God through the church, uh, not only to your own family, but also to one another? Yeah, you know, I think that um, our families and our local church they're very similar. There's a lot of parallels, you know. Um, we learned this week about your discipleship model here at FBC, and, and they call the mature believer the parent, you know. But it's not the parent's job to keep their kids next to them for their whole life or to be like, no, you can't do that when your child is 30 and maybe they're going to make a bad decision. But you just want to walk alongside them, you know. And so as we have served in the church, um, I've been in Cuenca for 12 years, I don't look it, but I was actually born there, so I just grew up in Texas, but I'm technically from Cuenca, and even that is pretty miraculous because the ladies accept me. Um, I've been serving with the women for um, almost 10 years, and I'm not from there. Their culture might be different to my home culture, but they accept me, and so we've seen as we trust the Lord and he is faithful to grow these people, that more of them are now prepared to parent the new families or to walk alongside others and say, it's okay, let's go back to what the word says. It's not about telling people what to do or what God wants them to do, but leading them into that relationship with him so that it can be a true intimacy and dependence on the finished work of Christ, not on the person that's teaching them. And um, that has always been our heart as we work to establish the church by God's grace, that privilege that we get to partake in. But we see how they are growing, and we see how now their interests and their... Uh, maybe their perspective is amplified because they see the needs of others. And so I think that's one of the big reasons why the church has grown so much is yeah. because we have more people prepared or strategically placed to take care of the needs of the body. And that's really cool to see. That is sweet. Mm -hmm. the, the body of Christ, the family of Christ. Yeah. Thank you, guys. Thank you. And, uh,